Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we are so excited because Michelle Belanger is joining us to discuss dreamwalking and psychic vampires. You guys probably already know Michelle and have seen her on TV. She's a highly regarded intuitive medium and expert on occult matters who's written over 30 books on topics ranging from demons, ghosts, and dream work to vampires, occult ritual, and psychic energy. She's been on numerous TV shows like Paranormal State, Monster Quest, Paranormal Lockdown, and Portals to Hell. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. We wanted to start off our conversation today by talking about this concept of being a psychic vampire. I think you're for me anyway, you're the first person I know to write and speak so much about being a psychic vampire. And I just wonder if you could tell people, when did you realize you were one and kind of what does that look like? So I, I hit on the fact that there was a vampiric quality to my psychic abilities pretty early on. And I think I credit that to growing up in a family where psychic was something that like several people were. So it was okay to talk about. It was an okay thing to sort of like explore. And it wasn't until my first year of college that I ran across a book that actually described this under the term psychic vampire. Cause you know, for, for like my early teen years and like up until like 18 or so, I was like, I think I'm a vampire, but like, I don't sleep in a coffin. I'm not undead. This seems really weird. I think it's with this energy thing. And this was long ago enough that we were still trying to work out that psychic energy existed. Like Reiki was just starting to really catch on. And I was in the Midwest where, uh, you know, if you did yoga, most of your school teachers were sure that you were worshiping Satan. <laughs> so the, the book was uh, Dion Fortune's Psychic Self-Defense. And it, it was a game changer for me on a couple of levels. The first one being, it was the first time I saw someone describe what I experienced. But the downside was she had only ever experienced interactions with someone like me at, in a predatory state where they were um, dominant over her, where they were preying upon her against her will, where it was framed as an attack. Uh, and and the, definitely what she's recounting were the, the bad sort of psychic vampire. But to see the, the word in print is, is what I hit on. And it inspired uh, the, the first book that I published through Wiser, uh, The Psychic Vampire Codex, because I knew from my own experiences that not everyone had to be a predator who had these abilities, that it was sort of well, let me, let me define what a psychic vampire is to kind of go from there. So a psychic vampire is somebody who needs to regularly and actively take human vital energy in order to maintain their, their mental, physical, spiritual well-being. Uh, and that vital energy, we can call it prana or chi, psychic energy, whatever you want to call it. It's that life force that flows between all of us that folks in healing modalities make use of harnessing and directing. As I was coming to understand this uh, ability in myself, like this, this characteristic, what was really clear is it was sort of a proactive self-healing. I was born with a heart defect, so I was a pretty sickly child. And the times at which I would take energy from people when I was much, much younger was usually when I was compensating. And it follows the same mechanics of Reiki attunement, just in reverse. Often, you know, hands on a person, it can be done at a distance. Uh, it is a focus on that life energy. And instead of putting it into someone, it is taking it out. And that's not necessarily 100% 
a bad thing if it's done right. But, and I will agree with Dion Fortune in this, if it's done against somebody's will, uh, without their knowledge or consent, it is always a bad thing. Although I would also argue that healing someone against their will without their knowledge or consent, like doing anything to their energy without their consent is bad and is going to have a negative result for everybody. Yeah, that's a really good point. You always have to get permission. What is, I want to ask what this feels like, because sometimes I'll be around someone and I'll think, oh, I feel so good when I'm around this person. They always lift me up. Is that me taking their energy? How- well, that, that that's sort of the trick it- is everybody is engaged in energy exchange in all cases at, at all times. Like it's, it's part of who we are and how we interface with one another and with the world. Whenever we have like a deep breathe in the energy of the forest, like we both give and take. And in most cases, when it's, when we're healthy, when the space that we're with is healthy, when the people we're with are healthy, there, there's a balance to that. Uh, and often a synergy where the act of giving or taking like, there isn't a deficit on, on either part. In the case of folks that I would identify specifically as psychic vampires, people who have a vampiric quality, there's something that breaks down in either how they process energy, how they access it, or how they integrate it into their own system once it's taken that doesn't work quite right. The way that I'll usually suggest to think about that is, uh, you know, everybody can eat food, but some people have food allergies and some people people don't have like the same kind of absorption due to various things. So they may need to take supplements and may need to eat different ways. And so although we are all hardwired to both give and take energy and to engage in an exchange of energy with pretty much everything in our environment, not just people, folks who are vampiric have some need to take more in a way that is noticeable and typically from other people. So my theory on it, and I'm not alone in the theory, but there are multiple theories for what causes this, is I think that there's a breakdown in how the person, how vampiric people process their energy, the types of energy that they're able to connect to. For example, I mean, I've spent a lot of time studying multiple energetic systems. I'm a Reiki three, I've had training in Qigong, hands of light and other things. And, And one thing that I can say is, I can sense the energy in the natural world and I can sense and harness to heal other people, to direct it and shunt it. But I cannot necessarily take that in and do anything with it myself. Like I can go out into the natural world and be like, I can feel this, but it doesn't sustain me in a way that is clearly something that breaks down. Like, like something isn't working right. And it's, it's, it's not really fixable. It's, it's part of my base nature. But taking it kind of pre-digested from other people fixes the problem. How to do that responsibly is to find people who have an abundance of energy, almost too much energy. And instead of just taking from someone, you make it a a healing exchange where you take their excess, where you share, where it is an upgiving. Now, there are a lot of instances, and, and Dion Fortune pretty eloquently described them, where there are folks who don't realize that they have this capacity And they just find predatory and toxic ways of relating to people in order to get what they need without fully understanding what they're doing or why. And that's where most of our ideas of energy vampires and and predatory psychic vampires comes from. People who don't really quite understand the harm that they're doing because they haven't spent a lot of time understanding any of 
their relationship with energy. That's so fascinating. So like if I go to the beach and swim in the ocean, I feel renewed and refreshed. Am I hearing you right that if you went to that same beach and swam in the ocean, you wouldn't hold on to that refreshed feeling? A lot of that stuff doesn't stick or actively doesn't seem to be good for my system. There is a breakdown in the way that I relate to certain types of energy. But if I'm doing healing or connection, because it's all vibration and frequency, we all know that. So if you're doing hands of light or, or Reiki, do you still act as a conduit to bring that energy into yourself to send to someone else? So are you filling your coffers at the same time? So it kind of negates the need for the vampiric kind of exchange? Well, I got Reiki three because I was trying to figure out if that would be the case. And what I've found with Reiki, and it's really funny working with other Reiki practitioners because they're like, no, it can't be that way. Where I can tap into the universal source that every Reiki practitioner is, is trained and like attuned to. And I can kind of act as a conduit, but it it's sort of like grabbing it outside of myself and directing it. It skips me. Like it skips my essential bit. It doesn't really integrate with my stuff at all. It, it's fascinating to watch the look on somebody's face where I, I'm like, no, really, this is sort of like how this works. And they'll, they'll try to give me Reiki and it just, it, it kind of bounces back in a way that is very unusual. And I'm not the only person for whom Reiki energy just doesn't click. And I know that that goes against most of what we understand about like what Reiki is and how it works and, and how vibration, uh, vibrations and frequencies work. And I don't know, I don't know that I could describe like the, the full on like metaphysical or quantum reality that means that certain people just don't match that vibration or can't. But I will say that I'm not the only person. I, I don't think that I'm revealing anything that she hasn't talked about like widely on, on social media. There's an author, Laurel K. Hamilton, uh, and we bonded over the fact that she's also an energy worker and a practitioner of magic. And she has to tell her fans who are energy workers to never try to send her healing energy at a distance, especially not Reiki, because it just does not agree with her system. It's a fascinating weirdness. Um, so I can, I can grab it and I can direct it to somebody else as long as I'm keeping it away from the core of me. Fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I've spent a lot of time going like, but why? I mean, I, again, I've got ideas <laughs> and theories. I've worked with some people who don't seem like they're native to this space. They're not from around here. And so their energetic systems act very differently and, and function off of some very different rules or at least interact with energies in a very different way. You know, I will go out on a limb and say that some people who are not necessarily originally attuned to earth or comfortably attuned to earth may uh, are some of the more likely people to have these vampiric qualities. Do you think that's what makes you such an effective medium? I mean, do you think it, it enhances it in a way that you're not you're just a messenger like the information just comes from the other side and you're just channeling it it well you're not really channeling it are you because it's not being absorbed into you i'm relaying it i actually yeah. that's that's fascinating because i hadn't really that's how i convey messages i hadn't considered that and that is a wonderful brilliant insight when i'm communicating with spirits i do not let them in me it feels like there's no room in me and that it's not, it would not be comfortable either for me or for them. There has been exactly one instance where I've allowed someone into me and it was a friend who passed. 
and I did it for his faith community and his wife. And it was quite, a, it was, it was quite an experience. It was a lot. It took a lot to actually be able to do that. But when I'm communicating with spirits under ordinary circumstances, they are near me and they relay what they're saying. And I pass that along, but it does sort of have that same sort of jumping the circuit feel that Reiki and a number of the other energy healing modalities have where I can grab it and I can sense it and I can give it, I pass it along, but it skips me. That is so interesting because I've watched you work. And one thing I've noticed about the, I just love the way you connect with spirit and the way you get such accurate information. And for me, when I'm doing mediumship, everything has to go through me. So it has to be filtered through my biases, my mm-hmm. perception. And then, you know, sometimes it's lost in translation. Whereas when I've seen you work, nothing seems to be lost in translation. And I'm wondering I, if that's part of it. I'd never thought of it that way. But yeah, I, I definitely, because I'll describe it as like, I've got my detached observer and I'm the detached observer. Like there's a, a level of objectivity because I'm, I'm witnessing what's going on. I'm bearing witness to it, but I'm not immersed in it personally like there is a sense of detachment that's pretty cool no like like this is this is i hadn't thought of it that way and hadn't looked at it that way because i've i've sort of approached the like the psychic medium work that i do is one thing i mean they're interconnected like there's no way to separate a sensitivity to energy and spirits from the the psychic anything and you know I, I use the term psychic vampire to make it very clear to people that this is a part of my psychic reality but I haven't examined the effects of both of them and and that's sort of like jumping the circuit I will have to really think about that that is a fascinating I'm so this is exciting oh, I'm so glad <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this for freaking decades at this point. So like new insight is, is awesome. Well, yay. When I've seen you do work, you, you know, you do work with a lot of hostile energy, at least on your mm-hmm. TV shows with ghosts and the D word and all sorts of negative stuff. Do they take your energy? How does that work when you're encountering negative stuff? They don't. I think one of the reasons why I'm uniquely suited to that work is I bite back. <laughs> like, I, I know it, it, it can be sort of like a, a silly joke, but I, I operate on, on a level where if something's trying to take my energy, I can reach back out and do the exact same thing to it. And most spirits that are negative are so accustomed to not being met on that level that like schoolyard bullies, the minute you stand up to them, they go running with their little tails tucked between their legs. It's also why I will frequently get called in on like really dark, really violent cases because behind the scenes, I'm usually kicking the stuff out. I really resent anything that preys upon vulnerable, innocent, or otherwise helpless people, people who might not be able to protect themselves, who might be in a vulnerable frame of mind where maybe they could take care of themselves under other circumstances, but in this one, they can't. Children, the unwary, and there is a, a profound protective streak. And I'm uniquely suited to go in guns blazing and not be hit or affected in quite the same way that others do. I've described myself as empathic because in the process of reaching out to connecting and sampling the energies of people and spirits and places, I can identify the emotions, uh, like, like the layers of scent in a perfume, but I also am not 
feeling those in myself in the same way that I've heard other people describe it. There's again that sense of a, a jumping the circuit, like a, a, a detachment where some parts of me can't be touched by those types of energies or is just out of sync enough with that stuff that like we don't quite connect. And I hadn't really considered that that might also come back to how I do not connect easily or readily on a personal level to a lot of energies other than the energy of, of other living people that I actively take it from. Wow. Yeah. Cause whenever I've encountered negative energy, I feel slimed like from the ghostbusters mm -hmm. and I watch you and, and, and I've read so many of your books, you're fearless. And I take a lot of comfort and confidence in that. Like I've learned a lot from that. Like, don't be afraid because they are just basically bullies. Yeah. No, the, the fear definitely is something that they're looking for and it does give them an in, but I've watched enough other people to, to know that like there's just different ways in which each of us engage with energy and with spirit. And that means that each of us have different strengths and weaknesses. And you know, weaknesses aren't necessarily like bad and they aren't necessarily our fault. It's just understanding like in this situation, I am the best tool for this job. And in this situation, I probably shouldn't be doing this. I will say that something about my energy tends to be very big and very intimidating. So when we're talking the more shy and retiring and meeker spirits, like little children's spirits, or just like lost and sad uh, people or whatever, I'm not the best person for that job because I usually have to spend 30 minutes of my time going, no, 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 be not afraid. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, I'm, I'm really, I know I look scary. It's okay. Like I'm, <laughs> I just want to talk. Like I have to kind of like actively try to make myself smaller and just sort of like it's a sense of almost like tucking in parts of myself and, and being like, it's fine. Like, really, I might look like a big, scary giant, but I'm just, I just want to hear what your story was. Yeah. Just recognizing your strengths and weaknesses without that judgment and bias. I love it. You made a really good point, Michelle, that you have a very warrior, like a psychic warrior type energy. So that would make sense that you would gravitate towards this stronger work that a lot of us that are empathic might have a a hard time facing or might be, I don't like to say too sensitive because that's making it a negative connotation. I read, you know, your home and, and all the work you do in, in the house where you, you, the haunted house. And I live in a very yeah. old house in New England and I grew up in one of the oldest cities in, in the country. And I, so I know that energy and it's ancient, and it's old and it's deep and how buildings hold whoever's been there. But I also think it's important about how can, because so many people are heightened right now, whether it's oh, positive, no. negative or not, what are some ways that, and even through we've become so digital, how can empaths or people, because the blunt version is what you're talking about scares some people. It really mm -hmm. like, oh my God, are they going to come and get me? So I oh yeah, and I'm, some... I'm not offended by that because there, there's, there's a reason to be scared of the ones who either don't know what they're doing or worst are the ones who do understand this capacity and use it for selfish gain. Use Thank it because, you. and I will not deny, there are definitely folks out there who either have this as an inborn ability or who have learned it, because I think it's very important to mention anyone can learn to take energy. Anyone. Right. If you can learn to give energy, if you can learn to you know connect to universal life energy to heal, you can learn to use all of those psychic gifts to prey on and hurt people. And the only difference is are you that kind of a person? Mm -hmm. and, and are you willing to kind of 
wallow in what that feels like because that's there there's a cost to it that maybe they don't see at first but it it definitely it changes the, the the way you feel and the way you look and the way other people can perceive you but it also is you found your your connection with with spirit with all that is with with the the different realms some people may use their mediumistic techniques to tap into the emotions of the people in spirit or they might connect with those gentler energies, but your work isn't. Your work is much stronger than that, which is very, very needed during these times of shift and transition. I mean, the world definitely needs frontline soldiers. Yes. And I've always had a belief, a longstanding multiple lifetime belief that you never ask someone to do a job that they are not suited to. And, and if there's no other choice than to do a job that you're not suited to, the cost is always going to be higher. The, the wounds that we will have inflicted upon us just by the emotional toll, just by the emotional labor, if we're not suited to that work, if we don't have the, the right type of you know, emotional or, or spiritual armor, we might be able to do it and it can wreck us. So how do you, how do we handle how do we survive and navigate this time right now where the collective unconscious is a roiling boiling ocean of hate and unrest and fear and uncertainty and just all of the looming terror of what's coming from so many different directions i mean it's a tall order right the, the first thing i would say is to be aware of how interconnected we all are and how that is both a great strength but also can be a great, not a weakness, but an Achilles heel. Like if we don't sometimes take time to detach, to remind ourselves of where our personal boundaries are, to take some time to find our center and to be a little selfish about that, to not try to to give our energy to heal everything all the time without also making sure that we are in a solid space in a safe space, centered and sheltered and able to heal ourselves. We, we can't fix or heal anything. I think that's one of the most troublesome issues anybody who's like an empath or a natural healer faces is there's this impulse. You feel the pain, you see the pain. And so you want to fix it. You, you want to reach out and heal it. You know that that's your calling. You know that you've got the tools to do it. And it's so easy to give all of yourself away to the point where now you have nothing left. I think a lot of people need to hear that who are listening to this show, that it's okay to practice sacred selfishness. I think the easier way to frame it for people is you you can't put anyone else out if you yourself are on fire. We're all on fire but you have to put yourself out first. Like you have to attend to to your own stuff. And that's not selfishness, that's practical. You increase vastly the amount of good that you do if you take care of yourself and make sure that you are healthy and safe and strong because then you can do the work. If you're doing so much about giving yourself away and just, just being overwhelmed by it and then allowing it to like pull you apart, Now, all of those gifts that you have are stretched out across the vastness of suffering. It doesn't get as much done. It just, it just doesn't. And you suffer in the process. Yeah. And when you suffer, everything else around you suffers. Yes. We're, we're all interconnected. I, I 
there are very few things that I will say, I believe this 100%, but everything in my experiences, everything in my studies tells me there is this vast and glimmering webwork of energy strung between you and me, the earth and the stars, every living thing, everything that we don't even think of as living, uh, spirit, all of it as, as like this wide neural net. And what I think and what I feel vibrates down those lines. And even if we're not consciously trying to tap into that, we still hear it like background noise. And like background noise, if it's loud, if it's jangling, if it's discordant, it affects us. Even if we're not actively taking it in, it affects us. So as we heal ourselves, we are healing an essential part of that whole and that healing, that positivity stretches out across the web work just as much as our woundedness does. I wanted to uh, move forward a little bit into your work on psychic dreamwalking. I find that just absolutely fascinating where, so I've talked a lot on this show and my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, about something I call being a night worker, where I have a lot of dreams where I'm helping people in the dream state. Like I'll be giving readings or crossing ghost over or offering healings and since I started talking about it on the show, so many listeners have been emailing us saying, oh, I do that too. I do that too. So I picked up your book and what you're describing is, is similar and different. Can you tell people what you mean by psychic dreamwalking? So psychic dreamwalking is where lucid dreaming and astral travel or out-of-body experience intersect. And it is adjacent to what you're talking about. It's, it's one way of getting to those places where you reach out and communicate with other people. Uh, we're, so I, I was introduced to the idea of psychic dreamwalking as that term in fourth grade by another fourth grader. And Girl. I... Yeah, I truly believe that she was a walk-in. There's a lot of things that I left unspoken about some of the things that went between us and specifically what she talked about in terms of some of the things that she was instructing me in. Cause it's honestly, especially when I wrote that book, I didn't think anybody was ready for it. Maybe, maybe soon, but there was a lot of weirdness with, with Pearl. And what we worked on doing was going into light trance states. What I've learned is you know, the hypnagogic state where you're in that sort of liminal space between waking and sleep and you haven't quite surrendered to sleep yet and, and the sort of descent into unconsciousness and the different parts of your mind that, that sleep and dream mean we would harness that or we would work on lucid dreaming so becoming conscious in a dream with the intent of using the dream space as our vehicle of communication and either erecting a gateway or a doorway or just walking down a road in this dream realm to reach and communicate with another person or a spirit with whom we had a, a connection or an interest. That early work, like I said, I'm, I'm 10 and I'm learning how to do this and we're like checking on one another. One of my most vivid recollections was Pearl's best friend was homesick and we were on a field trip and Pearl wanted both of us to go check on her because she wanted to make sure she was actually okay at home because I think that there was some, some reason to think that maybe she wasn't just sick because of family stuff. And so like just sitting there with my knees against the back of the ugly dark green leather of these bus seats and like the springs kind of creaking underneath me and trying to tune out 
the sound of the other kids on the bus and the feel of the bus and just drift into that other space where I'm not exactly, I'm still in my body. I'm still present there, but I've gone inward to go outward. And it was different enough from everything that I read about astral travel that I started trying to figure out like, what, what is this? Like, are there other cultures that write about this? Are there other you know, systems that talk about it? I did a bunch of work in my undergrad stuff in my comparative religious studies degree on shamanism, because that came closest to some of the stuff that Pearl was teaching me, just clearly not from any particular culture. This idea of a, a dream space and a dream time and a liminal realm that we can access through vision and altered states or dreams where we can go. Uh, actually, Joseph Campbell has a book with the title that always resonates with this, The Inner Reaches of Outer Space. That idea that you can go inward and discover everything out beyond you, that not all doors leading outward are the only ways to get elsewhere. Do you believe that if our soul travels like that, can we travel into the past and the future? I'm not sure because I can't speak from my own experience on that. What I can say is this, because of who and what I am, I have committed to a very linear experience of things. Although I have a deep connection to the past and a lot of memories, I am here and moving forward. I do think that it's possible to access vision of possibilities and access the, the streams of reality. So we can travel back as an observer, perhaps, mm -hmm. and travel forward as an observer, but not necessarily a participant. Mm, I agree with that. In that book, you tell a fascinating story about your next door neighbor and dreamwalking kind of accidentally into his dream. And yeah. he came over to your apartment. Can you share that story? This was my lesson of do not ever judge a book by their cover. My next door neighbor was a roofer. And, you know, we lived in a town which is lovingly referred to as Brunstucky. It's kind of the, the home of the NASCAR dads. And, and Ron was, you know, baseball cap, flannel wearing, uh, just not anyone that I was prepared to think had anything to do with energy work or psychicism or anything like that. We would go over and play golden eye tournaments on his computer system. Like we were, we'd game together and that was about like where we bonded. Uh, so um, I was really taken aback because <laughs> so, so I was doing, I, dreamwalking was something that, you know, having learned with Pearl, I could do it consciously. But something that I also learned is, A, people do this unconsciously all the time. Um, death announcing dreams and dreams that people have where there's telepathic communication or even what feels like, like direct person-to-person -person communication. These are some of the most commonly reported and recorded paranormal experiences in the literature all the way back. So this is, an, in my opinion, an inherent human capacity that we all share. Most of us do it unconsciously. Well, what I will say is in learning to do it consciously, that does open a door to the ability so that you will spontaneously do it if you need to. If someone is calling to you from a distance, whether it's a friend or a family member in distress or crisis, or someone that you've never met in this life with whom you nevertheless have a connection, uh, or if you yourself have a need and there's someone who can answer that, like you get pulled out 
and I would, I think that it's safe to say guided by other forces, whatever you want to name those forces as. And I was in a place where there was a lot of stress and there was a lot going on. And I spontaneously dream walked to Tehran. And I remembered the dream. It was pretty vivid. We had an exchange. We interacted with one another. And I felt a little embarrassed by it because I wasn't sure how to broach the topic to this very, very salt of the earth, not someone I thought I could raise these conversations with. And, and of course, the, the punchline is, is when I finally like sheepishly went over and I was like, you know, hey, I don't know if you believe in psychic stuff or this or that or the other thing. And, and when Ron was just like, why didn't you just say you were a psychic vampire? Like duh. <laughs> like he treated it like it was nothing. He's like, yeah, I remembered that. I wasn't going to say anything because I thought you didn't know. Oh, <laughs> that was so crazy. And he woke up with what he thought was like a hickey on his neck. Yeah. He woke up with, yeah, I, I should say also like I, I dream walked to him because I needed energy and I fed off of him in the, in the dream walk. And so dream walking, one of the reasons that I wanted to really understand it was it was also some way that sometimes that vampiric side of me would be expressed. And it was one of the few places where I didn't always have conscious control over it if I got really, really uh, low. And so it, was, it really behooved me to like sort out like, how does this work? How do I control it? What are the boundaries? What are the limits? And how do I protect people who like my neighbor, who with whom I have a connection, but we haven't like had this conversation we haven't had any kind of like consenting anything like i felt pretty pretty bad about having that happen and yeah there was there was a physical mark but he was pretty cool about it which i loved he he was fine i would have preferred it to have not happened that way we became much closer because of it i actually was the uh, officiant at his marriage many years later yeah no pretty pretty cool guy and and we bonded over it but at the time i was like so this is a weird thing to talk about. And I just want you to know if, if that happens again and you're conscious of it, you can tell me to, to just, just shoo. And I probably will. I love that story. Well, I'm wondering if I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, am I a psychic vampire? What would be some, either some characteristics or some tendencies or some things people could identify in themselves to see if this, if, if they're doing their work from this perspective. The first thing I will say is it's really easy to mix up empath and vampire. And I would argue that they are two sides of the same coin. They are intertwined abilities where an empath may feel like they're taking energy in from the world around them. I feel that it is a different mechanic, that they are like a string on a violin that is tuned so perfectly that when music plays in the room, when there's another note, not from that instrument, they will vibrate with it anyway. Whereas uh, a psychic vampire, there is an active process of taking that energy in and processing it and making it a part of yourself. So how, how, how do you tell? How do you feel once you have not been around people for an extensive period of time? When, every, when the world went into lockdown, uh, there were a lot of folks who ended up reaching out to me, uh, trying to figure out what to do about suddenly finding themselves isolated without any kind of human contact. Now, the caveat is Again, we all exchange energy energy to some extent. And so it's not unusual if you suddenly find yourself completely isolated to start to feel run down and to start to feel the lack of that interconnectedness, that sort of like natural cycling that we all do. But there is there's a degree of it. 
for someone to be what I define as vampiric, it's not just that you feel a little disconnected or a little run down. It starts to have a qualitative impact on your health. You get sick, your immune system tanks, you get anything that you were sensitive to before, you get even more sensitive to. If you have underlying issues, autoimmune issues, chronic issues, those start to like really creep up and snowball in a way that is notably different than when you are regularly engaging and getting energy from people. And I don't want to uh, encourage people to assume that all their chronic conditions are just an energy deficient. The important thing is like, make sure that you get that squared away as here's how I treat this from a traditional medicine standpoint. And what I'm saying is even all of the traditional medicine approaches, like your your medications, your, your doctor stuff, when they're scratching their head and they can't figure out why it's still getting worse. And the only solution is you sit down and you do an energy exchange with someone, you get some energy from someone and that fixes it. That's a pretty good indication that there's something vampiric going on. Okay. So I have a follow-up question on that is if I'm doing readings, a lot of readings for people, and it either raises my vibration and I feel jazzed up and energetic and so in the zone, I'm still using my empathic qualities to tap into their auric field and to tap into the energy of spirit. But then there are some people that I'll interact with where I'll finish a call or a sitting or a Zoom experience and I'll feel completely drained. So have they possibly used vampiric influence on my energy or is it just the exchange? There's a couple of things that can be going on with that. Sometimes people are just in such a bad place that they do sure. need a little bit more. But there are certainly people who are naturally vampiric. So the third option, because I've definitely also seen this, is sometimes our energy just doesn't gel with another person. And it's not that one side took or gained, but the actual like act of connecting, something broke down and cost too much on both ends. And I don't I don't know well, how best to describe yeah, but that. But that, that makes perfect sense because that goes back to the the vibration and frequency. And if our frequencies match, it's going to be much easier to make that connection and keep it in that symbiotic place. Whereas if there's more of a, a fluctuation in the wavelengths of what we're putting out or receiving, it's going to be harder to maintain that connection. Yeah. When it's discordant, especially I've seen it almost do damage to people on either end where you're trying to connect and the free, you're, you're both operating on frequencies that are so different that it's it's just jangling and, and wrong and kind of bounces back in a way that is uncomfortable. Again, it goes back to that idea that like sometimes we're just not the right tool for the job. When I do energy work and readings on people, it's one of the reasons I don't do readings for hire is sometimes my energy just does not gel with another person. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of taking or giving. It's just to even try to connect is going to cost so much that both of us are going to come away feeling terrible. That's where I'm going with this is, so do you feel that when you're energetically connecting with someone to raise your, your energetic level, do they have an impact? Do they get a physical reaction or a 
psychic reaction or are they even aware of? Oh, absolutely aware of it. And there's definitely a reaction and a synergy. When I'm taking energy from someone and I do it with their knowledge and their consent, it is a you know consensual exchange. And this is why I say it's not necessarily a bad or a negative ability. When it is done right, it actually encourages that person's system to, to yield up stuff that has gotten stagnant or maybe overwhelming. And then there is this, after a, a kind of dip in their sense of their energy, where they are deeply relaxed, where it's it's sort of like that that like wrap yourself up in a blanket and kind of doze on the couch, like comfortable relaxation. Mm-hmm. After a period of recuperation, their energy comes back brighter and clearer and cleaner. And I hope it doesn't sound bad, but I've related it to, I do a little bit of herbalism. If you pinch little bits off of like your lavender or your or oregano and just harvest small amounts, it has the effect of not damaging the plant, but actually encouraging the plant to grow even more vivaciously. And that's the effect that I've seen when a vampiric exchange is done properly. With the knowledge and consent of the person, you skim off the surface. You take the stuff that they don't really need anymore or that has gotten gunked up in their system. And the one thing that I've definitely seen with folks who are naturally vampiric is they have an ability to process that. The negative stuff, the heavy stuff, hard emotions, and chew through it in a way that might be detrimental for somebody else to hold on to. What does that conversation sound like when you're asking to take someone's energy. I'm just curious. The hard part is first having the conversation of, does this person believe in energy at all? Because I I won't work with someone who doesn't have at least some background because I could describe, you know, until I'm blue in the face that, you know, I'm going to sit here and connect to your energy and you're going to feel like this sort of like movement between you and me and you're going to tingle from head to toe and then you're going to get really tired. uh, And then you'll feel like either really hungry or a little hungover tomorrow. And then like you can just run a marathon. And if someone doesn't have a background in something metaphysical, they're going to think that I'm delusional or, you know, making it up or trying to sound like very like an edgelord or something. And then they won't be prepared for what happens. First, the first conversation is, do you believe that there is more to the world than just your physical body? You know, are we more than beings of just cells and flesh? And if the answer is yes, then the conversation is, how do you think souls, spirits sustain themselves? Doesn't everything take energy? If our bodies need to eat, don't spirits also effectively eat? Like everything costs energy. Ghosts and spirits take energy from people. They're fairly famous for for draining like batteries, but also like right before something like really intense happens, many people in the location will report a sort of sense of being drained, especially in negative ones. That's because things need that energy in order to do the stuff. So the next step is, you know, do you believe in spirits? Do you believe that we can share energy across a distance? Do you believe that has an impact on how you feel and what your health is like? If you believe that you can use energy to heal, do you also accept that it's possible that someone could take that energy and that it wouldn't always be a bad thing. And then it's a a matter of like very slow demonstrations. I I don't think that it's right or proper to just like, here, let me show you what this feels like and just, you know, take as much as I want from someone. I think it's really important to let people experience and then judge and go, okay, I know what that feels like now. I'm okay with a little bit more. I'm okay with that. So it's a long conversation. Yeah. I'd imagine so because 
I always had, until I read your work, associated taking energy with a negative thing. Don't you, Denise, think of that as, ooh, no, don't, I, I don't have any other energy to give. Don't take what I do have. Yeah. Well, this really reminds me of when you do an energetic, well, you mentioned the shamanic work, when you do some kind of psychic surgery or energetic release work or soul retrieval or something yes. that leaves someone feeling very vulnerable after the experience. And, yes. and it's you, you've changed a part of them in that work and you've released some sort of energy. So that's what this feels like to me. Very it, similar. it is very similar. It operates on many identical mechanics. And actually, most of the folks I know who are vampiric do that work naturally. Like there is those two things are bound up. The idea of like being the sin eater or the, the person who, who removes the intrusions, who removes the stagnant energy, who is able to like reach into a person and through them and find their lost pieces and pull that back, but then also process the backwash of energetic trauma uh, and, and all of the stuff that, that that's there. This is why I say like the, the word vampire is, is probably the least helpful word for this. I don't think that we have a good word in the English language because shaman feels a little appropriative. And in everything that I studied about shamanism, that is the closest other word that I would use for most of the folks that I know who are naturally vampiric. It's not that they are, you know, risen corpses from the dead. There's something in them where there is a woundedness, that there was a, a, an emptiness or an open spot, something that they learned to fix, something that they learned to heal. And in learning how to do that and how to connect to the energies necessary to do that, they learned how to also do that for others. But that, that first inherent lack or loss or strangeness in their energy remains as maybe a lesson, as maybe just the nature of what they are. But it opens this other ability to heal, but from a perspective of taking, from a perspective of walking into dark places. It's but almost it, like you could call yourself an energetic gardener. <laughs> yeah. Pruning and harvesting. I will tell you, like having struggled with this, trying to understand it and trying to explain it to people for, oh, good Lord, at this point, more than three decades, the English language fails. We don't have good language to describe most of these things. I'm pretty sure anybody who's an energy worker who's had like a really profound, ineffable experience connecting with spirit or or with like what's beyond just our little part of the universe comes back and tries to like talk about it and realizes that language does not suffice. And that's definitely where I'm at with this. The best word is psychic vampire. But it's also the worst because of all the baggage. You think like, you know, I'm stalking around in a cape with fangs. Now, I was in a metal band and I'm a goth. So I do, in fact, own fangs, have, in fact, slept in a coffin, <laughs> do own several capes. But that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, the people I know who have excess energy who would be like, yeah, sure, Michelle. They also seem to me anyway to be a little bit ungrounded and scattered and anxious. Mm. So if you were to take their energy, would you get that anxious, scattered feeling? I can taste it, but I don't feel it, if that's a way of, of explaining it. Like, I mm -hmm. I can make a conscious choice to take 
more of that into me, but the, the default to my ability is to filter it out or to process it in such a way that like, so I help people in end of life cases. I help people as they cross over, as they die. And I help people process a lot of like really deep wounded trauma. And there's a lot of energy that comes out of that. And it is also laden with suffering and fear and just all kinds of stuff. And what I can say from that is there is an inborn facility that I have to cycle that out, to sort of alchemically transmute it. I don't know if anybody's a sci-fi fan, but it's a little bit like the Bene Gesserit from Dune, where you're able to swallow the poison, but something about you and your training means that you can take that poison and turn it into something that heals instead of kills. That gives us a whole new look at the, on this because, you know, before we hit record, I was saying to you, so many of us associate the term energy vampire with a narcissist, you know, just a really negative person who is hell bent on taking your energy and manipulating you and gaslighting you. And what you've presented here is something totally different. And, and that's the, the trick is, like I said, anyone can learn to take energy and we all do engage in a give and a take. And in the cases of folks who are preying on others, especially like your, your malignant narcissist, there's an act of choice to be that way, to, like to, to use those ability to use that connection. I would argue that malignant narcissists on some fundamental psychological level simply use every tool available to them to dominate, manipulate, and prey upon the people around them for their own benefit. So it shouldn't surprise us that they also use energy, that if they have even a modicum of psychic ability, that they also use that because they use everything else. If they have a small amount of power, they will use that. If they have any kind of fame, they will use that. If they have you know, any power over a person, whether it's in a job, in a relationship, they, they will make use of that to manipulate prey upon and dominate. It's just in their nature. And I'll argue, just I've worked with and you know studied folks like this. They don't even necessarily need to consciously understand from like an intellectual level how any of that works because it's an inborn impulse. Like they act, they have a cleverness, a canniness, an instinct for these sorts of behaviors that I think speaks to the fact that it is not just an illness, but a syndrome. Like, like Yeah, I've heard it referred to as malignant intuition. Yeah, because if you've ever had to work with someone or you've ever had someone like that in your life, you've probably, like me, had those moments where you're like, are they doing this intentionally? Like, they're not that bright, but yet in these specific circumstances, they know exactly what to do and exactly what to say. They don't even think about it. They just do it. Like there is some instinct. It is amazing. And it's worse when, because it's not outside of the realm of possibility, that the person who is a malignant narcissist is also vampiric by nature. I have met a few of them and they are terrors. They are horrible because not only do you now have someone who can emotionally twist people and you know physically intimidate them, you have someone who has inborn ability to crawl into their energy and dominate them and prey upon them that way too. And they have no hesitation in doing it. No. And they drain it. And what I've noticed, if you look in their eyes in that moment, their eyes change and their eyes look gleeful. No, they, they yeah, they know it. Oh, there's, there's, they, they wouldn't be doing what they do if they didn't get something out of it. Like there is, 
something in their wiring where they, of course, enjoy what they're doing. They are never more alive than when they are taking advantage of demonstrably showing their power over someone else. That's all the world is to them is what they can take. It's, you know, an incredibly lonely existence, but I don't really have much sympathy for them. You know, that, that warrior streak, never so much as when someone is being preyed upon by a malignant narcissist is that triggered. So here's, here's a fun thing, since that, that takes me to, uh, I was at a convention and there was a malignant narcissist who also happened to be a vampire. And since I was at that particular convention talking about dreamwalking and energy work and vampirism, there were three people who'd been psychically attacked by him. And, you know, not just like they felt that he was like staring at them across the ballroom, but like there, there were other aspects to these interactions. They banded together. They came to me because they had heard that I was the person to come and to give them some idea of how to protect themselves. The first thing is, is if you, if you ever feel like there is someone who is psychically attacking you or preying on your energy and you suspect that there's anything vampiric about it, chances are they're someone who has interacted with you recently. Chances are they can probably still see you because that helps them focus on you. So your first step is to remove yourself from whatever room you were in and whatever group of people you were in. If you can go step into a bathroom where you have like total control of the space around you and do like a little grounding, centering and, and shielding exercise where you're like, you're kind of clear off, clear your head and do a check in with yourself. And make sure that what you're experiencing, you know, isn't low blood sugar, and you, isn't that like you haven't eaten, isn't that you were just like being overwhelmed by the people around you and, and check in. Okay, definitely. This is something bad that happened. Kind of go back over and think like, who did you interact with? Who stood out in retrospect as maybe not someone, you know, personally or well, but someone who looked at you different or like for some reason your attention was drawn to them across the room and you saw that they were staring at you. And once you looked that way, they looked away. That's probably your culprit. The vast majority of folks who are vampiric by nature, honestly, are don't think it's worth the effort to just send energy across a distance to attack someone they've never met. It's not that they can't do long distance energy drains and things, but it takes effort and it takes focus. And it's so much easier to just prey off of somebody who is a convenient target. And so it's a, it's a matter of path of least, re least resistance. Your next step, of course, is do good shielding technique. Ground, let go of the stuff that let, you know, you're feeling anything that has bothered, disturbed you. Center, find your still center, sheltered space inside yourself. Spend a little time there. Reaffirm your sense of your boundaries. Get a good sense of like where you end and begin and where the rest of the world is. And then once you have a sense of those boundaries, spend some time shoring them up, whether that's visualizing white light around yourself or visualizing yourself encased in flame, literally building a fortress, asking spirit or a higher power to, to give you armor or shield, but something that sets a strong boundary around you and anything that might be preying on you. If it's somebody that you are going to have to go back out and deal with again, my recommendation is to make that shield a mirror on the outside, something that reflects back at anyone what they're giving to you. So if they give you something good, all they're going to get back is something good. If they're giving you something bad, it's going to bounce back to them. That will have the effect, especially for someone who's a predator by nature. They will go look somewhere else. Again, path of least resistance. But to go back to the, the story about the convention, it is rare that I will do things to people without their knowledge or permission, unless it is to protect other people from them. 
And in the case of this fellow who was, he clearly had a type based on the people who were coming up to me. They were smaller, all blonde women, all people who were in vulnerable states. You could tell that they'd been in situations with intimidating people before and bore some scars that I think were very easy for him to spot. So I did what I like to call the hamster ball. Feel free to steal this technique. Use it only when well-deserved. It's a little bit like shielding, only you are projecting the shield on the other person. So I targeted him and I imagined a ball of energy around him. And with that mirror technique, the mirror was on the inside. So everything that he was and that he was putting out into the world would just bounce back to him. And I call it a hamster ball because sometimes I like to make up silly little songs to help me focus on things like that. And also to keep it from being mean or vindictive. Like this was about you get to roll around in your own crap until you learn to do better or at least leave this convention. It's not like I was binding him forever. It was just as long as you were around the people that I'm protecting, you're going to be in this little little hamster ball and think about the bad things that you've done. So like roly-poly hamster in your hamster ball. All I don't know if I can say bad words. <laughs> all you the pee and crap. <laughs> all the pee and crap can't wash away at all. And, and so I just put energy around him and made him sit in his own shit. And he went away very quickly. It's that stuff works. I read an old technique years ago where if someone's bothering you intentionally, you can put their name on a piece of paper and put it in a bottle of water and mm-hmm. then stick that bottle of water in the freezer. So the narcissist that I know happens to be my mother. So I put her name in a bottle of water when she was being her, you know, one, one of her mean moods and she was being great. Everything was going wonderfully. And I was like, does that really work? Or is she just in a good spell? And then we had a little hurricane and the electricity went out for two days mm. and I, I didn't even think about it. And everything came back on and, and suddenly my mom is back in one of her mean stages and I'm cleaning out the freezer and I'm like, son of a bitch, this bottle of water. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I, I put it back in the freezer. It works. I, I don't like attacking or binding, you know, willy nilly, like something has to be really, really deserved. And I'm, I'm the sort of person that I'm much more likely to protect someone else than I am to myself. Like if, if something can get through and actually like hit me, I'm more like, huh, well, that's, that's novel. Who is that? Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> uh, but again, if it's someone who, who can't protect themselves and, you know, it just, it just galls me that they will always go for the most vulnerable who can least bear it. Well, it's like a criminal. I mean, if you interview criminals and you ask them, how'd you pick that victim? They'll say, well, she was distracted. He was looking at his phone. They looked weak or it's yes. like a prey in a jungle. I mean, it's very rudimentary stuff here, how they, how they pick, you know, who they're going to prey on. And I, yeah. I think as energy workers, you know, we have a responsibility to educate people on how to do this. And it's, it's really not hard. It's the real reason why I say, like, try to set the fear aside. In all my psychic self-defense classes, most of the principles are are drawn from just regular self-defense classes. Folks who are looking for a victim look for someone who carries themselves like a victim, who looks like they're already scared or is already scared, is is like crossing that darkened parking lot, like, you know, looking from side to side and is is so wound up with the fear that they're not, they're not thinking about how to defend themselves. They're already thinking about how they are going to be victimized. And and that's that's not to blame people who are victims. Like I want to be very, very clear that the only person to be blamed 
for that is the person who attacks you, who did something bad to you. But it can help to turn those people's attention away if you can find it in yourself to project, if not confidence, at least a sense of, I am not your victim. I am nobody's victim. And try to really believe that. And if you can't believe that for yourself, ask a higher power, ask your spirit guides, ask whoever you have looking out for you to be that extra bit of of confidence and strength to try to turn the sights away. Excellent advice. What I'm gathering from this is when you're doing what you consider a vampiric exchange with someone, in a sense, it empowers the other person as well. It's helping. It's a healing modality for you in some respects with that exchange of energy versus someone who's doing it just for their own satisfaction or need. And I think that that's a really important thing for us to look at is that you're giving as well as taking. It's it's not, you explained that beautifully. So thank you. Because I think yeah, for it, a lot of our listeners, that's going to help immensely. Yeah, it, it's important to know that there is nothing inherently wrong with taking energy when it's done with the proper intention and for the proper purpose. And it can also be healing. And just like sending energy at someone can be used as an attack, it can also be used as, as an attack. So, so much of it comes down to intention and also the consent of the party being acted upon. Exactly. I love it. Well, some of the books we recommend listeners check out include Psychic Dreamwalking, Psychic Energy Codex, The Vampire Codex, The Ghost Hunter's Guide to the Occult, The Shadow Side book series. I know I'm missing so many. Do you have any books? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. If anybody is interested in the psychic self-defense techniques, The Ghost Hunter's Survival Guide, although it is written primarily from the point of view of a paranormal investigator, it is my self-defense text. So all of the stuff on like how to ground, center, shield, protect yourself from spirits, things like that, that is the book to go to. If folks find me interesting and want to like actually take some classes, like I said, I don't really do readings for hire. I prefer teaching people how to do that for themselves. Just for personal reasons. Uh, I have a Patreon and it's patreon.com slash haunted, which is really easy to remember. I got in on that early. And that's like monthly classes and chats and, and all sorts of other things. There's, I've lost track of how many hours of online classes because we transferred a lot of the in-person classes that were happening at my haunted location, Inspiration House, to online because of the pandemic. The side effect has been just this vibrant, just fun community of people from all over the place who are really kindred souls. Wow, that's fantastic. So patreon.com slash haunted. Yep. All right. We'll put that in the show notes and on our social media. And Michelle's website is michellebelanger.com, B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R. So we'll post that as well. So you guys can click there and check out all her amazing work. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg. This has been so eye-opening for for Denise and me. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge in such a such an eloquent and kind way. I really appreciate you and and your time today. Thank you so much. And thank you for the like the insight. There there were a couple of points that you raised that I really hadn't thought about things from that direction and it took someone with your background from outside of my perspective to, I have some fun things to chew on. Thanks to you. I I really appreciate it. I'm so glad. (laughs) Thank you so much. And tell Leary, we said hello. And I look forward to reading your, your next book whenever. Are you having a new one come out soon? 
I'm, I'm working on several projects. The, the most recent thing was the 10th anniversary of the Dictionary of Demons. And that was sort of like the big project. And currently there's like five other things that I'm juggling, including like an energy body, like a guidebook. I've got decks of cards that came out, contemplation cards and a shadow work deck. All of those were just recent and many, many irons in the fire. Oh, that's exciting. Maybe you can come back on in October to talk some spooky stuff with us. Always happy to talk spooky stuff. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.